Uh, this morning, we're going to be reading out of Matthew chapter 18. It will be on the screen behind me, and you can get there in your Bibles or on your device. But if you would stand to your feet in honor of God's word, as is often our custom, I'm going to read this passage for us this morning. Beginning in verse 21 of Matthew 18, it says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Lord, we want your spirit this morning to release the power to forgive in this place. And Lord, we know that we can't do it on our own. So we need your spirit's help. Make it possible for us to grieve pain today and make it possible for us to forgive. And Lord, I've never been able to do anything of any lasting good without you. So I need your help this morning. And Lord, we welcome your presence here. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, we are in a transition period in terms of our preaching schedule. Uh, next week is our launch Sunday, meaning that I will be taking some time uh, to talk to you about our vision and direction for the next year. Um, largely, we're going to be talking about uh, the culture that God is building for us here as a church at Crestmont. So I'm excited for that uh, time together next Sunday. And then we will be back in the book of Acts after that, which we took a break from for the summer. So today was a transitional time, and I thought um, what the Lord put on my heart was to preach a pretty basic message on forgiveness and I'm thinking that this may be a practice of mine in my preaching schedule moving forward um, to hit this once or twice a year just as a matter of course. And it's because there are few things that are as foundational to us being able to move forward in our walks with Jesus as this issue of being able to forgive. Um, when Jesus taught us to pray, he told us to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, which meant that Jesus was incorporating into his teaching to us about prayer a regular practice of forgiveness, of recalling the ways in which we have been hurt and wounded 
and and forgiving um, in prayer out of that place. And Jesus goes on to say, as he teaches about the Lord's Prayer, that if we do not forgive, we will not experience forgiveness. That is, that unforgiveness is a spiritual paralyzer for us. Um, It is possible to get stuck in time because of an offense and the unforgiveness that surrounds it. Um, I remember when I first went into ministry, I had the opportunity to meet a couple who uh, began to unfold for me their life story. And in this story was quite a bit of pain, but in particular, there was one offense that had happened decades ago that had caused this couple a great deal of pain. And as the conversation progressed, I was able to tell um, a dynamic as I talked to this couple, and it was simply this, that uh, one uh, person in that marriage relationship had been able to forgive, and the other person had not been able to forgive, and the contrast was stunning to talk to them. Um, You could tell that in that marriage relationship, one couple, one person in that relationship, their capacity for love had grown even in spite of the offense, but for the other person, it was as if they got stuck in time. And while the years passed by, and even while they continued to be near the things of God and the people of God, it was like they were never able to move past that offense as bitterness just went deeper and deeper into them. And the real bummer about that is that it becomes a block to our own experience of the grace and goodness of God. It becomes impossible for us to grow past the offenses that we haven't forgiven. And that's true not only for us as individuals, but it's also true for us as a church. This issue of being able to forgive, to be a forgiving people, is at the core of our identity of being a spirit-filled people on mission, right? Um, Because... um, an inability to forgive, an inability to extend grace to those who have offended us um, can stick a whole church in a place in time, can stop a whole community of people from moving forward in the experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit and therefore empowered to the mission that God has called them to. So I think this is so critical and so foundational and so basic to what it means for us to be a people on mission filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the love of God for our neighborhoods and the nation. So I feel like today is a very basic sermon, but I think it's important. And I also want to say at the outset, much of what I'm sharing with you today is not terribly original. I am so grateful that God put people in my life who could teach me how to forgive. Because I'm not sure I would have even seen my need to exercise forgiveness without those people, much less have the ability to do it And this has been a huge part of my own journey. And we have to learn how to do it, friends, because how many of you in here can testify that the longer you live this life, the more offense happens, right? I mean, these offenses accumulate over a lifetime, you know? And there's the small ones, you know, the petty ones, but there's also the really big offenses. I I doubt that any of us in this room are going to make it through our life without major betrayals, major offenses that have the potential to freeze us in time spiritually. And friends, I don't want that for you, and I don't want it for me. So let's let Jesus free us this morning, all right? Okay, so um, 
Peter comes to Jesus in this passage. We actually preached on this passage not all that long ago, I think within the last year. But Jesus comes to Peter in this passage, and he asks a question, how many times must I forgive someone if they keep offending? Right? It's, it's one thing if someone just slips up, right? It's another thing if they keep offending. He says, how many times must I forgive them? Seven. And Jesus answers by saying, Peter, not seven, 70 times seven, which is Jesus' way of saying there's no end, there's no limit to the amount of times that you must extend yourself in grace even to those who offend you. And here's why Jesus answers that way is because Peter's question actually betrays the assumptions that he's making that are counterproductive to forgiveness. Peter is making this whole issue of forgiveness an issue about counting, right? And, and if you've been involved in a conflict, you know counting is a big deal. Um, we count offenses. We count how many times you did that thing to me, right? We start counting words. These things begin to add up. And if you've been part of a conflict where words are exchanged and they keep getting exchanged and then someone says something behind someone's back, you know that the count adds up quickly, right? Which is why Peter is asking, how many of these offenses that I'm counting must I forgive? Jesus' answer effectively is, you must stop counting. You must release them from the debt. And to illustrate this point, Jesus goes on to tell a parable. And if you've spent time with us, you know that this is a teaching tool of Jesus to tell us what life is like in the kingdom of God. In other words, what does life look like when God is ruling? In this case, in particular, what do relationships look like when God is in charge, when God is ruling, when God is having his own way, what do relationships look like? And we learn from Jesus' teaching here that the center of what relationships look like when God is having his way is forgiveness. So Jesus tells this story to illustrate this point about a servant who owes his master an impossible sum of money. The translation we read out of this morning said bags of gold, but what's being meant there in the Greek is probably um, one of these bags of gold probably represents about 15 years worth of working wages. And this guy owes a lot of these bags of gold, right? Which is to say, there's no way in his lifetime that he's ever going to be able to repay this. Even if, even if he had the best job and worked every day to pay off this debt, this is an insurmountable debt, and he knows it, which is why he begs this ruler, this master, for mercy. And the master gives it to him. And then you see what happens in the story. He goes out from receiving that grace and that mercy, and somebody comes to him, who owes him a much less sum of money, about 100 days' worth of wages, which is a manageable amount of debt. Probably many of us in this room have around that amount of debt. It's possible to pay that off in a lifetime, right? And he gets no mercy from this person who just received all this mercy from his master. Jesus' point is, while this individual felt joy at receiving the mercy from his master, it was a joyful, ecstatic, exciting experience to be released from the debt, but it was not transformative in his life to the extent that it transformed his relationships when he left that place. It may have gotten him excited or made him feel relieved to know that he was saved, but it did not transform him to offer grace to other people. 
And of course, here we learn something foundational about what forgiveness is in the scriptures. Forgiveness is commanded in the Bibles and in the Bible, and it is commanded, friends. It is required of us. It's commanded not just because it's virtuous or because it's moral or right, even though it is all of those things. It's all of those things because it is congruent with the character of God who is virtue and morality and rightness. So forgiveness in and of itself is right, but that's not why it's commanded only. It's commanded because we were the recipients of it. We received forgiveness, and that's why there's an expectation that we give it. This is part of the biblical definition of what it is to be a hypocrite. Being a hypocrite is not coming to church and learning about Jesus and being a follower of Jesus and still having sin in your life. That's all of us in this room, right? First church of hypocrites, right? (laughs) That's not what being a hypocrite is. Part of what being a hypocrite is in the scriptures, at least, is receiving or expecting forgiveness from God for an insurmountable debt and then not offering that in grace to other people. That's part of what it means to be hypocritical. And friends, we see very clearly in this story what's being communicated. We were the ones with the insurmountable debt. We were lawbreakers. There's only two reasons, really, why we don't forgive. It's either because we were forgetful or ungrateful. Um, If we're forgetful, we forgot what we were like when Jesus saved us, right? Um, If we're ungrateful, we've received the gift and it hasn't transformed us. At the root of both being forgetful and ungrateful is thinking too highly of ourselves. It's pride. It's forgetting how bad we were when Jesus found us. I find very often, this is why, sometimes the more religious people are, the more they struggle with forgiveness. It's why we have so many bitter people in our churches. It's because we've polished ourselves up. We've stopped cussing so much, you know? We've changed the outward appearance of things, and all of that might be good, but if it's done in pride, we forget what we were. We forget how lost we were. We forget how desperate we were. We forgot that in God's courtroom, none of us had a chance unless God was willing to release us from an insurmountable debt that we would never be able to pay for all eternity. And friends, that's exactly what our God did for us. It's what we celebrate every week we come together. It's what we celebrate every time we come to the communion table, that our debt was just wiped away because God came as a man and died for our sins on the cross to release us from what we can never pay on our own. That's the good news. See, we don't, We're not required to forgive just because it's the law of God. We're required to forgive because it's a demonstration that we have encountered the actual gospel of God, the good news of God. This is core to who we are. So I want to give you this morning just some practical counsel on forgiveness. And I just pray that the Holy Spirit uses this um, for us this morning to maybe face some pain, even for the first time, or um, to release some people from the pain that they have caused us. Here's what I find about forgiveness. Almost anybody who has spent time in the church for five minutes is quick to say that they have forgiven everyone, (laughs) right? I forgive, I forgive. 
it's kind of like if I asked in this room, uh, does God love you, right? That's like so basic to what we teach and what we celebrate and what we sing about. Probably everybody would say, yes, I know that God loves me. But then the question is, well, why do we act so insecure all the time? Um, why are we still trying to get the approval of people? Why do we find ourselves stuck in patterns and addictions? Why do we find ourselves behaving in certain ways that demonstrate that we don't really believe God loved us because it's his love that will free us from those things? See, I find for me at least that very often it is my behavior, even my subconscious behavior, that very often says what I truly believe or the depth of what I really believe. And I find that that's the case with forgiveness. Probably all of us know that we have forgiven, that, that we need to forgive, and that and many, many Christians say that they have forgiven. But I just want to encourage you, challenge you this morning, not to just look at what you know about forgiveness, but to look at some of your actions, your words, your behavior, to see if this is a reality in your life. For instance, I meet some people who the offense that they went through, particularly the big kind of linchpin offense of their lives, whatever it is, and probably most of us in this room have at least one of those, I, I meet some people that you can just tell that is their identity. They can't talk about themselves without talking about that offense. It's like what they launch into all the time in conversation. Forgiveness becomes hard when an offense has become your identity. Because we become afraid to let go of the offense for fear that we won't know who we are anymore. Because we have begun to see ourselves in light of that victimhood. Um, sometimes I find that people say they have forgiven, but they just recall the thing over and over and over again in conversation. They're always quick to bring it up. Say they've let it go, but they bring it up again. I can tell you this, many of you are newer to Crestmont, and our church uh, turned 100 years old this last year, and so much to celebrate in our history. Um, the last 10 or so years, a little over 10 years, have really felt like a, a life-giving season of renewal at our church. Um, but previous to that season, we went through some difficult times as a congregation for a bunch of complex reasons, for about 20 years or so, and there's really no person or group of people to blame. It was just messiness and people's brokenness bumping into each other. But when I first came on staff here at the church, that season had ended and we were passing into um, a new season as a congregation. And I remember that uh, very often, many of the church leaders at that time, at some point in the messiness of those years, had experienced some kind of offense. Um, and I remember when we were in those meetings, there was a tendency to bring them up over and over again. Remember when this happened or this happened, or could you believe that that person said that? And eventually, we had to realize as a group of leaders that as much as we might say that we have forgiven, if we feel the need to rehash it every time we're together, it's probably not true, right? And eventually, we had to reach this point and say, if we're serious about pursuing all that God has for us, we have to forgive and we have to move on. Or I find this, if somebody gets offended and it triggers in them a disproportionate response for the nature of the offense, very often what's happening is it's not just this one offense that the offended person is thinking about. 
it's triggering all of their past offenses, too, that they haven't forgiven, including the major ones in their lives. And this is why, has this ever happened to you? Have you ever accidentally slighted someone and you can't believe the response that you're getting from them? It's often because even when the person isn't communicating it, in the back of their mind and their emotional life is this whole series of offenses that are getting triggered every time a little offense happens. I can tell you, friends, if you are easily offended at the, at the smallest of slights, at social things that happen, um, I can tell you there is probably a, some bitterness in you. There's probably something that needs to be released. Um, or this, sometimes I ask myself this, is it possible for me to bless the people that I feel offended by? And I, and I mean from the heart. And I don't mean this kind of prayer like, God, would you bless so-and-so by revealing to them your judgment and making them, sometimes we pray these self-righteous prayers. I want to check my heart and say, am I able to bless their families, bless their health, bless their finances? God, take them farther than me in the things of you. Bless their lives, protect them. Can I pray those things from my heart? Sometimes that's a check for me to see if I'm really in the place of forgiveness. And so I want to encourage you, before you just glaze over and move past this topic this morning, um, ask yourself, have you really forgiven? And this is my testimony, at least. Um, Jesus told us to pray, forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us as a regular practice. And I have found in my experience that a lifetime of offenses, however long you've lived, requires a life practice of forgiveness. Um, the practice of going to God again and again, even with small things. Um, I don't know if you've had this experience. This makes me dishonest with, with this whole issue of forgiveness sometimes. But sometimes I, I, really, I, I can be a sensitive person, all right? So don't look at me weird today or anything, all right? Um, but sometimes I don't want to be offended by the thing that I'm offended at. You know what I mean? I wish I were bigger than that. <laughs> you know, but sometimes I'm just downright petty, right? And that means that this practice of going into God's presence with these things is all the more important. So here's the first step in learning to forgive and release. It is to step into and fully face the pain of what happened. And I would argue, friends, that this right here is the real reason why so many of us do not forgive. It is because we are scared of facing that pain. We are afraid of grieving that thing. This is one reason I find the scriptures to be so honest with the human experience is because it is filled with laments, filled with grief. People who knew how to take their disappointments into the presence of God. Scripture is instructive to us and teaching us, modeling that for us how to take disappointments into his love and into his presence. And I find that Christians are very often filled with religious excuses for not facing their pain. Sometimes we excuse, you know, people away. Well, they didn't mean it. You know what? Even if they didn't mean it and you got offended, it still requires forgiveness, right? Even the accidental things still require forgiveness, um, sometimes we just have shoved it so far out of our mind, especially the really painful things. We just don't want to recall it and forgive. But friends, the first step in forgiveness is shedding the tears of your pain over the disappointments that have happened in your life. And, and here's where I often find that that key can come, 
It's in being able to name the losses that you have experienced as a result of the offenses of others. And someone who has been a voice for us in forgiveness has said, trained us, said this is a good question to ask people. What did you lose when you experienced that? And he rightly pointed out that that question is often what causes the tears to flow because we have often not named the losses. And the losses can be material and physical, but very often they're emotional um, or immaterial. We lost time. We lost a vision for our marriage or our families that we wanted. We lost our innocence or we lost um, our sense of dignity or self-respect. These things are as real or even realer than material losses, right? And we carry them around. And this is why forgiveness becomes such a big issue is because when we've experienced those losses, our tendency is to reach for retaliation as a tool to get that debt paid back, right? And we can either reach for that tool um, actively or passively. Sometimes we do it actively, right? Um, we leverage words against other people. We act in certain ways towards other people to try to extract from them a debt that we feel they owe us, right? Because they caused us loss, however big or small it is. But many times we do it passively. We might church folks are especially good at this, we might not say anything to your face, right? But inside, we're churning, right? Replaying it. You know, having those conversations, what I wish I could have said to him, right? Replaying that again and again in our minds and in our hearts. But all of that is an attempt to try to get a debt back from someone. But here's the deal, you know this, none of that stuff works, Active or passively, reaching for retaliation to try to get a debt back to fill a loss never works. There's only one person who can give back to you what was taken from you by the devil or by other people, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's who wants, he, and he wants to. He wants to return to you the things that were taken from you. Um, he's the only one that can do it. This is why we read it in our reading today. It says in Scripture, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will make things right in the end. I will repay. I will balance the scales of justice. He's the only one wise enough, good enough, powerful enough to do it. Um, it is a futile exercise in playing God when we try to extract debts from the people and the relationships around us, which leads us to what forgiveness really is, because forgiveness is not just, you know, washing over or pretending like an offense didn't happen. Here's what it really is. It is a willful choice, not necessarily an emotional choice. You're not always going to feel it, but it is a willful choice to release another person from a debt that they owe you, to say, look, what that person did was wrong. Accidental or purposeful, it was wrong. And it hurt me. And I'm able to name the loss that it caused me. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, I release them from that debt. They do not have to pay me back anymore. Um, that is an act of the will. Um, some of you may know the history of uh, South Africa. South Africa, for a long time, was ruled by a white European elite who oppressed and brutalized a majority black population 
in uh, that nation. Um, Historically, we refer to it as apartheid. Well, when the political story happened that caused that to unravel, the world was watching because when these kinds of brutal regimes unravel, often what descends on a nation is chaos and more bloodshed, right? When an oppressed people um, are, have been oppressed for a long time and then rise to power, very often this can start civil war, right, in a country. Um, but in South Africa, the story played out a bit different. Although the process was not perfect, uh, there were some key people, Nelson Mandela and Archbishop Desmond Tutu, uh, who proposed a, um, a different way of doing reconciliation. They created this body called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that met for many, many years. And here was the core agreement of the Truth and Reconciliation commit, uh, 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 Commission that in return for anybody who would come and tell the whole story publicly for the record of the way that they had participated in the brutalization of other people. For anyone who would come and do that and name it and acknowledge it and say it, they would be given amnesty. Now, really, that made both sides unhappy, right? But here was the power in it. It was a really very gospel-centered way of, of doing forgiveness. The power in it was that the nation was acknowledging the pain that had been committed against a whole group of people and acknowledging it on the record, right? Saying, this actually happened. This is a really painful thing when we've been offended is when we feel like that pain is not acknowledged. There's whole groups of people who feel like their pain has not been acknowledged. It was the truth-telling, right? Saying this was not okay. This was horrific. We have to talk about these terrible things, all the kidnappings and murders and oppression that happened to a whole group of people. We have to talk about it because only when we're honest about it, only when we face the pain, is forgiveness, amnesty, going to be able to happen, right? That's a gospel-centered, a Christian Um, way of doing forgiveness, and the whole nation uh, did it together. Um, Now, I want to point out for you three words this morning that might be helpful for you in terms of seeing what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. And I want to give you these three words, forgiveness, reconciliation, and trust. All of them can be good. All of them are good, but not all of them are possible. And not all of them are commanded. Let me explain to you what I mean, and this might be freeing for some of you. Forgiveness is always possible. It's possible to forgive people who have even died, right? Because forgiveness is really between you and God. It's an act of releasing the debt of another person. Forgiveness is always possible. It's commanded And it is essential to our healing and our deliverance. It is true, friends. I've been in this place. We sometimes wish that there was a way to grow in Jesus, to grow in anointing and power and to grow in influence and to grow in service and to grow in prayer. Sometimes we wish there was a way to do all of these things without passing through the door of forgiveness. But there is no way. I can tell you, you can pray, you can pray twice as much as you do right now, 
And if you don't reach a place where you can forgive, you will not grow. You will still be frozen in the offense. You could increase your Bible reading exponentially this week, but if we don't forgive, we will not grow. There is no way to move forward in the experience of the grace and forgiveness and generosity of God without walking in forgiveness ourselves. And some of the reason why is because our bitterness creates space for the enemy to have influence in our lives. Um, Often, to our disappointment, the enemy attaches lies that keep us from forgiving, and it gives him influence in our lives. And in our relationships, Paul, the Apostle Paul says it this way in Ephesians, do not sin in your anger, do not let the sun go down on your anger, do not give the devil a foothold, right? He's saying, anger is an emotion, you're going to feel it sometimes, but if you don't deal with that disappointment, face it and forgive the devil is going to get a foothold of influence, of lies that are demonically powered in our life. It is true, the enemy is drawn to the pain of conflict. <clears throat> and there's a lot of even Christians in the church who have some level of demonic bondage because they have not been able to access um, this, this issue of forgiveness. Um, I have found the more I minister that forgiveness is often a very powerful door into the next thing that God has for us. Uh, let me tell you a quick story. There was a young man who grew up in our program. He was actually going to be in church today, but the last minute was unable to make it. He grew up in one of our programs in the community, and at some point as he was growing up, somebody accidentally, accidentally poured boiling water on his foot, spilled it. Complete accident. I don't know that he ever felt any kind of malice towards this individual from the beginning, from the time it happened. He knew that it was an accident. Nonetheless, he was rushed to the hospital. They had to do a skin graft to repair you know, the burn. It was really severe on the, on the top of his foot. And for a, a long while, he walked with a limp. Um, his foot had mostly healed, but not completely. And there was some residual pain and nerve damage in the foot. And so he walked with this limp. And so... Uh, Steve Rossi and I asked if we could pray for him for healing, and uh, for as long as we've known this young man, he has a heart that's open to the Lord, <laughs> to what God wants to do in his life. And so um, we met him at the Limar Community Center in Aliquippa, and we began to pray. And we're praying for healing, and I see that he's feeling something. So I said, I said, what are you feeling right now? And he said, it feels like hot oil is being poured over my foot, his words. <laughs> And I said, I think that's probably good, you know. Um, and so I said, let's keep, let's keep praying. And we kept praying, but the pain and the discomfort was still remaining. And all of a sudden, it occurred to me, I asked him a question. I said, hey, have you ever forgiven the person who accidentally poured this water on you? And um, he said, no. And really, he had never thought to even because he knew it was an accident, <laughs> right? Never really thought to do it. But I think even in these cases where it's accidental, there's still a call for us to be intentional with forgiveness, right? God has not just forgiven us of our known sins, right? He's forgiven us of our unknown sins as well. And it's a teaching of Scripture. So we led him in a simple prayer of forgiveness, which was easy for him to do because he didn't have all these emotional feelings against this person. But he just said, I release this person from this accident that, that was done against me. And then his eyes widened up. And uh, I said, what are you feeling now? And he said, the pain is gone. We ran around the block together with no limp, right? And I just asked him just a couple weeks ago. I was hoping he was here today so he could have told you himself. But I just asked him a couple weeks ago. 
I said, hey, from the day we prayed for you then until now, has that pain ever returned? And he said, no, that pain never returned back into my foot. Now listen, not all sickness is the result of unforgiveness, um, but forgiving is often the key that takes us into the next thing that God has for us. So it's essential to our growth and our deliverance and our healing. But forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. And listen, God is for reconciliation. He loves reconciliation. We're commanded, especially with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, to make serious, uh, long-suffering attempts at reconciliation. But reconciliation is only possible if a few conditions have been met. Um, First of all, it's only possible if both parties see that an offense was actually committed, right? Um, If the person who offends you doesn't see that they offended you, doesn't see that they've done anything wrong, Um, reconciliation is probably not going to be possible. Reconciliation is only possible if it's safe to reconcile, right? Um, We are called to forgive anybody who hurts us. Um, But if somebody is going to continue to offend us by abusing us and hurting us, it makes reconciliation impossible in that relationship. Um, Reconciliation is only possible if the person is alive, right? I just said that we can forgive even those who have already passed, right? But we can't reconcile with them, obviously. And it's only possible if the other person is willing to forgive. It may be that you have offended someone, but the other person is not willing to extend forgiveness. At that point, reconciliation is impossible. Friends, I just want to tell you, this is one of the great griefs of my life, to discover that reconciliation is not always possible. Um, And here's the danger in it. When you want it, and you can't have it. It creates the potential for more offenses to build up over time and for you to start counting, right? One, two, three. But here's the grace in it, if we can see it. If you have a relationship where reconciliation is not possible and the offenses just keep coming, here's something I'm learning. There's a grace in it because it just provides more opportunities for you to grow in the grace of forgiveness. It just provides more opportunities for you to extend the love of God and therefore receive the love of God and extend the love of God and receive the love of God. That relationship that won't reconcile is the very place where you will encounter the grace and love of God at a deeper level than you ever thought possible. So take hope in that. And then trust is neither reconciliation or forgiveness. Forgiveness is commanded. Trust is not. Read the book of Proverbs for a discussion on the Bible's view of trust, right? All kinds of good wisdom in there about who you should trust and who you should not, who you should pursue in relationship and who you should not, because here's the deal, you should only trust people who evidence to you repeatable, predictable behavior that reveals to you something about their character, right? If you just give your trust away, if you just trust people left and right, it probably means there's something broken in you that desperately needs the affirmation of other people. And if there's someone in your life who demands trust from you without proving that they are trustworthy, that person is probably abusive and you should run the other way. Are you tracking with me? So these three things are not the same. But all of us can walk in forgiveness. We pray for reconciliation. Trust is wonderful when we get to experience it. But forgiveness is something that all of us can walk in because God has given it to us. John, if you could come up and pray. Play and pray. Whatever you want. (laughs) I just want to end our time today by this story. If there are 
prayer ministers would come forward, and Brandy's going to close here in a moment. Um, I was talking to a pastor just a few weeks ago who was expressing to me frustration because recently he had to mediate a conflict in his congregation where um, what, what the center of the conflict was was the way food had been served, set out on the table at a fellowship event. Now, that is so petty. I understand why my pastor friend was upset and frustrated, but before we get all self-righteous, we can be plenty petty too, right? Um, let's just be honest about Jesus is in the room, right? So there's no reason to hide. Um, we can just be who we are, right? I don't know about you, I get offended at silly things, stupid things. I hold on to things I should not hold on to. We all do this. The enemy knows it. So he looks for these places where he can aggravate conflicts between people. But this is why I think this is so important, not just for us as individuals, but for us as a church. Listen, God is moving us, and we're going to be talking about this next week. God is moving us forward as a church to some things in mission. Um, I really believe that. But here's what that means. It means that the enemy is going to look for the petty places to aggravate, to attempt to hold on to disappointments and rights and territories and all those kinds of things. Um, you know, my, my pastor friend was telling me that in the wake of this fellowship hall, church dinner conflict, that he was tired of having to mediate conflicts between his people, and he just wished that they would stop this pettiness. But as I left that conversation, I thought, I don't know if that's possible. Um, the more broken people who come into our fellowship, probably the more potential there is for pettiness, right? Not less. So I don't know if that's ever possible. It just occurred to me that for my friend and for myself, for all of us, the real key is not in avoiding conflict, is not in getting to a place where we stop acting petty completely. I'm not sure that that's possible on this side of glory. Here's our final defense against the enemy. It's forgiveness. See, I'm confident of this. The devil can throw whatever he wants at Crestmont Alliance Church. He can aggravate relationships however he wants. He can uh, cause people to mess up with their words or with their anger or whatever, tempt people in those directions. But if we forgive, he will never get a foothold in our church. See, because whatever ground he thought he won will quickly be taken away by the offer of grace in forgiveness. See, forgiveness is our final defense against the enemy. It's our final, he can do whatever he wants with our disappointment, with our pain. But if we continue to walk in forgiveness, not just because it's moral and right, but because we are a people formed by the very forgiveness of God. If that's who we are, he can't touch us. Forgiveness makes us invincible, in a sense, to the ultimate plans of the enemy. So I believe that this is what God has for us today. Um, friends, whatever you do, and Brandy's going to close us out, but don't leave a message like this today. This is not one of those messages that you can just learn some information about and leave, right? <laughs> um, if there's steps you need to take, there's things you need to pray, um, I just sense God's power is close to help you to forgive. You can't do it on your own, but there's grace. 
um, to walk in forgiveness. Brandy, if you please.